Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the Rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time. Well, there's been a lot going on for the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you all follow the news or not. I do, and I, I sometimes wish I didn't. But anyhow, things have happened all the way from Josh's Bar Mitzvah to the turmoil that seems to keep building and building in the Mideast around Israel. This morning, this morning, I want to take those of us who have been with Beth Yeshua for a long, long time, back over the years, back, ways back. I want to take you a ways back. And also introduce some of you that are newer here to the subject that Adonai has led us to delve into over these years. Now, those of us that have been here for a long time know that starting about 10 or 12 years ago, Adonai nudged me into beginning to bring you information concerning earthquakes. Now, I didn't quite understand what was going on at the time, but I said, Lord, if you wanted to talk about earthquakes, we'll talk about earthquakes. He was just planting knowledge in our thinking about earthquakes. And he had us looking at earthquakes going back over the last hundred years, that earthquakes had been increasing or on the increase in general since in the mid-50s. And we need to consider that this increase continues to go on because we're now seeing multiple earthquakes in places that they didn't happen before. For instance, uh, North Texas across Oklahoma into Kansas now. They will sometimes have 30 or 40 very minor shakers in a day's time. And that's an area that there was no activity at all as little as maybe 20 years ago. And there's also been a rather sharp increase in the big shakers that we've been having around the world in the last 15 years. That's starting really in about the year 2000. And we're talking about earthquakes that are in a magnitude of 6 through 8 and even above that now. And so there's little wonder, there's little wonder in my mind that a couple of weeks ago, Ed and I started putting things into my mind about earthquakes again, and particularly about his use of earthquakes to bring about his will. And it, I got to looking at that, and it, it's it's fantastic, as we're going to see this morning. So straight up front, I want to tell you, that a lot of earthquakes that you see mentioned in Scripture happened at his timing. That was the miracle involved in a natural phenomenon that suddenly happened at a specific time. It was at his timing. And that proves that they were for Adonai himself. No coincidence. Now, the first instance that we want to look at of Adonai using an earthquake to bring about his will is during the Exodus. During the Exodus, as he's leading his people Israel and the repented former Gentiles that joined with him towards Horeb. Horeb is the, the mountain of God or the mountain of Adonai. And it's Elohim that is in the cloud leading the people, this cloud by day that's a pillar of fire by night. And it says that he didn't lead them directly to the land of the Philistines. That's an important thing in Scripture that it says he did not lead them directly to the land of the Philistines, which was close by. So I want to pick this up then in Exodus 
13 and verse 18 and read this area around this because we're only going to excerpt from this. And it says, Rather God led the people by a roundabout route through the desert by the Sea of Suf. The Sea of Suf today we call the Red Sea. Now, take note of that. He led them a roundabout route through the desert by the Sea of Suf. Very important details here. First of all, he didn't take them a direct route. He led them on a roundabout route. He didn't take them directly to the land of the Philistines. He didn't cut directly across the top of the Sinai Peninsula, but through the desert by the Sea of Suf. Now, the Sinai Peninsula is a kind of a bad-shaped thing. It's flat across the Mediterranean coast, but there are two fingers of the Dead Sea, a Red Sea, the Red Sea, that that come up on either side of the Sinai Peninsula. So instead of going straight across, he took them down the coast by the Sea of Suf on his way up to the land of the Philistines. Now, if you want to take the long way around, you follow the southern coastline through the desert along the Red Sea. And that forms a kind of a big drooping arc, if you will, to compare against that straight line that would be right across the top of the Sinai Peninsula to get to that same point. Now, Adonai adds another ingredient in this. Remember, he could have just shot them across and they would have been there, but he's taken them the long way around. He adds another ingredient. Still in Exodus uh, but chapter 14, verse 4. I will make Pharaoh so hard-hearted that he will pursue them. Thus, I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will realize at last that I am Adonai. This will be a final proof to the pagan Egyptians as if his liberation of Israel and all of the former pagans that came along weren't enough for those that remained. This will be a final proof from them as to who the true God of creation is Adonai will be glorified. It will also serve as proof to Israel that Adonai is their God. Now, Pharaoh with an army of 600 chariots sets out in pursuit. Now, if one is following this south coast of Sinai, sooner or later they run into this other prong of the Red Sea that sticks up there, and they have to turn north towards this. Understand that Pharaoh is pursuing them. That gives him a shortcut that he can cut them off as they're headed north along that prong. And it also allows Israel to be pinned against the sea at a specific point where Pharaoh intercepts them. And the people panic. The people panic. Why'd you bring us out here, Moses? Did you bring us out here just to kill us? Moses responds, still in Exodus 14, verse 13. Moshe answered to people, Stop being so fearful. Remain steady, and you will see how Adonai is going to save you. He will do it today. I want to point to that word save in there. That word save in there is a Hebrew variation of the word Yeshua. Yeshua is involved in this, in the poetry of, of the text. Now, what we need to do is look at what immediately follows. Moses saying this, Exodus fourteen twenty one. 
Moses reached out his hand over the sea, and Adonai caused the sea to go back before a strong east wind all night. He made the sea become dry, and its water was divided in two. This was an east wind. It, a wind in Hebrew, among the other things that Ruach can be translated into in English, is wind. Ruach has different meanings according to context. This was a strong Ruach from the east. You can almost say that it is the Ruach himself, the Ruach HaKodesh, that is this strong wind that is coming, that is separating the sea into two piles so that they can go across the dry land and escape. But this strong wind, this strong east wind that separated the waters of the Gulf of Aquaba wasn't all that was going on at the time Moses held out his staff, reached out over the, the Gulf of Aquaba. Modern exploration has revealed that there is an east-west ridge across the Gulf of Aquaba at this point. Divers have photographed what appears to be the remains of chariots and chariot wheels and so forth laying across this raised strip that goes across the Gulf of Aquaba. The Gulf of Aquaba is extremely deep everywhere else. We're talking 600 feet and so forth. But right here, here's this nice plateau that runs across there. So where did this ridge come from? Where did this ridge come from? Had Elohim built that ridge in during creation, knowing that he would need it later on? Or was it perhaps created at that time and in that creation of that ridge at that time, perhaps an earthquake that was going on, that earthquake created it or it created the earthquake. I don't know quite how you want to look at that. But a movement of the earth at the time of the strong Ruach blowing from the east, there's some evidence for movement of the earth to do something like that as we look at this same story in Psalm 77. Now, if this is a new concept for you that an earthquake was occurring at that time, you make Psalm 77 verses 14 through 20 homework. Study that out. And I caution you, you have to look at it carefully because the language is poetic. It's a song. So let's pick this up in Psalm 77 verses 14 and 15. You are the God. God there is Elohim. You are the Elohim who does wonders. You revealed your strength to the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Yaakov and Yosef, Jacob and Joseph. A couple of things to pick up of here. The Hebrew tells us that the one spoken of as God in the generic English of your text is Elohim. Now, among other things, Elohim that is mentioned is the Elohim that is in the creation hymn of Genesis 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is the agent of creation. Yochanan, John's gospel, indicates to us that this agent of creation that took on human form became Yeshua. He says this in the introduction in the first chapter of his gospel. Now, remember last year, we studied that it is Elohim showing human form that is in the cloud that is leading Israel to the point of crossing of the Red Sea, or that wing of it that's called the Gulf of Aquaba. So 
It is the agent of creation, pre-incarnate Yeshua, who is on the scene as what we are about to look at is unfolding. He is in the process of redeeming his people fresh out of Egypt, and his arm says, says, says your, with your arm you redeemed your people. His arm in biblical language is pointing to Messiah, the arm of God. He has brought his people right up to the edge of the sea with Pharaoh at their backs. And understand again that this psalm language is poetic, but look at what the agent of creation does with his creation. Look at what he does with his creation abilities that facilitates his people in crossing. Psalm 77, verses 16 and 17. The water saw you, Elohim, agent of creation, The water saw you and writhed or wreathed in anguish, agitated to its depths. The clouds poured water, the skies thundered, and your arrows flashed here and there. Again, we have to investigate poetic language a little bit here. The agent of creation, Elohim, has complete control over his creation. Always understand that. From the day he said, let there be light, he has had complete control over his creation, right up including today and through until he returns as the returning Messiah. He can make it do anything that he chooses to have it do. And we know from what we read in Exodus 14 that he made a strong east wind affect the water of the sea all night. Here in the psalm, Psalm 77, it gives us detail of the magnitude to which the water was affected. It was agitated to its depths, it wreathed, it stirred, it was agitated to its depths. Of course, that's the reason that Israel could walk across on dry land. It, the sea, was affected to its depths. Without getting you into a complicated Hebrew lesson, the arrows here are from the root of a Hebrew word for division. It was Elohim that was keeping a division, a space between Israel and Pharaoh's army as he was setting up the events of the, setting up the landscape for the events of Israel's crossing and Pharaoh's demise. This division is also reflected in the arrow flashing, if you will. He's shining light in one direction and he's not shining light in the direction of Pharaoh's army. They're in the dark, but Israel has light. Pharaoh is controlling both sides. Again, remember the language here is poetic. Also, because of the poetic language, we can consider thundered here as the voice of Adonai setting things in place. Thundered comes from the same word that we would, a variation of the word that we would translate into voice, his voice. So we can consider thundered here as the voice of Elohim setting things in place, speaking things into place, creating just by the sound of his voice. Genesis 1-3, please. Then God said, that's Elohim, then Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. And as the creation hymn of Genesis 1 continues on through the chapter It repeatedly says, Elohim said, Elohim said, he spoke this thing into, to this creation into existence. And here in Psalm 77, the voice of Elohim is thundering and things are about 
happening to his creation, such as an east wind agitating the waters to its depths. So let's take this things happening to his creation to Psalm 77, 18. The sound of your thunder, that's the voice, the sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning flashes lit up the world. Israel and the people with them could see what was going on. The earth, you ready for that? Trembled and shook. Why would the earth tremble and shake? Maybe it was this ridge being formed by an earthquake. Interesting. Three things happened at the sound of Elohim's voice here. The whirlwind is cutting the path through the waters of the sea, piling water up on either side. Two, even though it's night, all of Israel's side of Elohim, who is between them and Pharaoh's army, can see. They have light. They can witness what is happening, what is taking place, what is Elohim is bringing about on their behalf. And three, there was an earthquake. The earth trembled and shook. We're not specifically told that this was the ridge farming that runs straight across the bottom of the Gulf of Aquaba, but it's there today with evidence on it and that it was right at the point of crossing. It was created by Elohim at some time, at some point, and it was a major factor in the redemption of his people by Elohim. Look at how this psalm ends. Psalm 77, 19. Your way went through the sea. This is speaking of, of Elohim. Your way went through the sea. Your path through the turbulent waters. But your footsteps could not be traced. You led your flock, you led your people like a flock under the care of Moshe and Aaron. Elohim's path. That seems to indicate that he, as probably in the form of the Ruach blowing, went through ahead of his people Israel. We know from Scripture it says that he was between Israel and Pharaoh, but that doesn't say that he can't have, as that opened up, then led his people across. He led them through between the turbulent waters that piled up on a built-up ridge. Pharaoh's army couldn't follow, couldn't follow his path, the same path, and they were inundated. They couldn't follow the same path because... They were worshiping a false god. They couldn't follow the path that Adonai did laid out for the people that were following him. And it does appear that Elohim used an earthquake to create the elevated path that they followed through the waters, a journey that his people were on that would lead to their dwelling with Elohim in his promised land. So let's take a little further step up this journey. Let's follow this journey a bit further and look at another similar incident that took place along the line. More homework. Read Joshua chapters 3 and 4 because, for time's sake, we're going to act, only going to excerpt from these two chapters. Israel needs to cross the Jordan River. Needs to cross the Jordan River to get into the promised land and take possession of it. But the Jordan, when they get there, is at flood stage. It's much broader than even it would normally be. However, Adonai will again create a pathway for them to cross the waters on land as the water is piled up to one side. Adonai lays out specific instructions which are to be followed. Joshua, Yehoshua, Yehoshua... His name is a variation of Yeshua, by the way. Yehoshua instructs the people and they proceed. Joshua chapter 3, 
verses 15 through 16a. When those carrying the ark came to the Yardan and the Kohanim carrying the ark had waded into the water, for throughout the harvest season the Yardan overflows its banks, the water upstream piled up like an embankment for a great distance at Adam, the city next to Zartan. Water piled up, stopped flowing, piled up upstream near a town called Adam. Let's lay out a little background here for better understanding of, of all this that's going on. Depending upon which commentator you might read, you will find that there's going to be a variation in the distance from where they crossed to Jericho to this place of Adam. There'll be as much as a 12 to 18 mile variation in where they call this. Now, that's not being incorrect. The variation isn't given us exactly in Scripture, but I want you to think about the fact that Several hundred thousand people, maybe over a million, needed to cross a fairly wide Jordan River at flood stage in a very short period of time. Well, if you're going to move several hundred thousand people across a space in a short period of time, you need a wide space, not just a little hundred foot wide road and bridge or road and ford to cross the river. You need some mileage to lay out there because these people are not only walking, they're carrying everything with them. Their tents, all their possessions, they're bringing their cattle and so forth. This is not something that you're on a narrow pathway going to move a lot of people in a very short period of time. Well, they moved across, carrying all their possessions. If you take yourself to this place of Adam where the water piled up, today it's identified as something called Tel Damia. Tel Damia. Now, Adam has become Damia. Now, I have to tell you that there's a play on word here in English. If you break Damia down into English, it gives us a very interesting picture. Damia is three syllables. The first is Dam, D-A-M. Well, in English, that spells what? Dam. Ah. Dam, a device for holding back water. The next syllable is I. So at this point we have dam I. Then the third syllable is ya. In English, ya is a colloquial form of you. It says such as, I'm going to get ya. Okay? So in the English in play on the word damia, at the modern place of water stoppage for Israel's crossing of the Jordan, it would say, Dam I you, speaking to the river. You have to let that one soak in a little bit. The Lord has let a name be changed so that he can say, here's the point that I said to the river, Dam I you. You can't flow any further from here. And down below, there was miles of dry creek bed or semi-dry creek bed that these hundreds of thousands could walk across. Now, what makes this really all the more interesting is that a large chunk of earth broke loose, falling in the Jordan in the year 1267, recorded by a Muslim writer, near Damia, flowing, stopping or blocking the flow of the river for 16 hours. Well, closer to today in 1927, 
A mudslide caused by an earthquake blocked the flow of the river for nearly a day, also near Dam IU. Mm. In fact, historically known earthquakes have also blocked the Jordan in the year 1160, 1534, 1834, and 1906 as well. So it's very probable that Adonai used an earthquake to block the Jordan's water so that Israel could cross over. That Adonai would have used an earthquake to accomplish this would have his proof in the timing. No coincidence here. I want to stop the water. Shake. And the water is blocked. Hmm. A thought might be that the crossing of the Jordan was made possible by a minor pre-shock to the major earthquake that brought down the walls of Jericho itself. The miracle, of course, would be in the timing. Now, Adonai Elohim shakes the world when some kind of change is taking place. We've just looked at a couple of pieces of evidence of this. So let's take that to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 24 about the time that he's going to again shake the earth and be doing something. Again, read the whole chapter, Isaiah 24, as we're only going to excerpt from it. So Isaiah 24, beginning in verse 18, says, For the windows above have been opened, and the earth's foundations shake. Well, we're talking earthquake. How big an earthquake? The earth cracks and breaks open. The earth crumbles to pieces. The earth trembles and totters. That's a pretty good shaker or group of shakers that's going on. The earth staggers to and fro like a drunk, sways back and forth like a watchman's shower, sh shelter, like a watchman's shelter. Just a little rabbi trail here. Sukkahs that they would put up as watchman's shelters were built so flimsy that they would almost fall down on their own. So if you got a little bit of something happening, they were gone. That's what they're talking that the earth is shaking like. Swaying back and forth like a watchman's shelter. The guy sneezed. It moved. This is prophetic. At some point, the earth will wobble, will stagger. Apparently, its rotational axis will shift. Now, the earth's axis is a little off-center. That's why we get winter and summer as we go around the sun. The sun strikes mainly on different parts of, of the planet. So, this rotational axis will shift. And the shifting will be caused by earthquakes on a massive scale. Do we see what this is saying? At some point, the earth will wobble, stagger. Apparently, its rotational axis will shift caused by earthquakes on a massive scale. We also need to take note of the timing this prophecy is placed in. Drop down a couple of verses, Isaiah 24, 23. Then the moon will be confused and the sun ashamed, for Adonai Sevaot will rule on Mount Zion in Jerusalem with his glory manifest to the rulers of his people. Talking about a time when God will rule from Mount Zion. Well, when God rules from Mount Zion, it's the return of Messiah. It's also talking about a time when the moon will be confused. Well, the word that's translated there as confused in from the Hebrew is kafar, meaning among other things to be humiliated or abashed. If we get humiliated, what do we do? We blush. We turn red. The moon will be kafar, will be humiliated. It will blush. The moon is going to be blushing, turn red when this happens, as this wobble sets in. Also, the sun will be ashamed. 
Do you ever see somebody that's just been arrested and they're hauling them off to jail? They, jail, they hide their face. The sun will be ashamed. It will hide its face. It will go into eclipse. What are we currently in the midst of today? A series of blood moons and solar eclipses on Adonai's designated times. And then the question is, what else is going on? Well, there's a major increase in enormous earthquakes that could cause this shift in the Earth's rotational axis, causing a wobble, causing some wobble. I want you to look at this chart, and I'll do this on both sides. This chart shows earthquakes from 1901 through 2011. That's the most up-to-date one that I can find. What I want you to notice is that along the bottom here, all the way up to the turn of the century, there's very little difference in the number of earthquakes. Now, this is not talking all earthquakes. This is talking magnitudes 6 and 8 and above. Magnitudes 6 through 8 and above. And the earthquakes that of that magnitude in those years were never more than five, excuse me, were seldom reached five and were never more than ten. Seldom reached five, but were never more than ten up until the year 2000. And look at the spike. All of a sudden, we're having huge amounts of magnitude six through eight and above earthquakes. What did Isaiah say? He said, we were going to have earthquakes, big earthquakes that were going to cause the earth to wobble. Well, something that we need to consider, major earthquakes, six and greater, have a tendency to shift the earth's rotational axis. A big quake, axis moves a bit. The earth wobbles, the earth staggers. Science today has learned how to estimate this axis movement caused by earthquakes with some accuracy. Give you three quick examples. Um, a Sumatran quake, magnitude 9.1 in 2004, moved the Earth's axis two and three quarters inches. Chile, magnitude 8.8 in 2010, shifted the Earth's axis about three inches. But the real one that I found was in 2011, the Japan magnitude 9 shaker shifted the Earth six and a half inches, shifted that axis six and a half inches. Now, individually, these don't amount to much of a shift, and none of us felt any kind of a tug or movement under our feet that add up to anything. But if you put the three of these together, they become slightly over a foot, and that's three. Now, if you look at these, we're talking about two years right together here where we had between 45 and 50 large magnitude earthquakes. Let's say each one of those moved the earth two inches. You know, that's quite a little shift. And then we've got others that don't quite add up, but still the amounts are enormous compared to what they would have been. Now, if we consider that we've seen a pretty dramatic increase in stronger quakes in the past 15 years, we can get some changes. But understand that the quakes don't always shift the rotational axis in the same direction. Some move it a little north, some move it a little south. So over long periods of time, this tends to average itself out. The effect isn't so much. But if there were more shifts in one direction than another over time, 
either to the north or to the south, and the tilt changes enough, we get climate change. The axis tilt doesn't have to change very much to make a change. Over long-term history, the Earth's axis tilt has only varied between 22.1 degrees and 24.5 degrees between the two extremes. That's only about two and a half degrees change. Yet, these through history, and it's been all been done very gradually, have given us things like the medieval warm period. Now, if you're not familiar with it, the medieval warm period, the planet got warmer. And we know it got warmer because Eric the Red had year-round farms going on what today is called Greenland, which is a big iceberg. Now, it was just the southwest coast. It wasn't the northern part was still covered with ice. That was the year, oh, this was in the late 10th century. That was in year 900 and something. By the early 18th century, getting into the 1700s, we had what was called the Little Ice Age, where it wasn't so warm anymore. The the axis had shifted back a couple of degrees, and you it was so cold in the wintertime, the dray wagons, now if you, if you understand a dray wagon, you ever see the Budweiser wagon? Uh-huh, that's a dray wagon. Now figure that's full. That's full, and it's heavy. You could drive those across the ice on New York Harbor. It was so cold, freezing that salt water. And now we're where we're at today. So from the 15th century till now, the change has been gradual. The change has been gradual. But now we seem to be having a new shift taking place fairly rapidly, quite rapidly, actually, in conjunction with a suddenly sudden increase in the volume of very strong earthquakes. I want you to consider what the Inuits, the Eskimo people across northern Alaska, Canada, Greenland itself, have said in uh, conversations that they've had with NASA about this. The elders, the elders of these people all across that whole northern region are saying basically the same thing. The sun doesn't rise where it did before. In other words, we can remember when it used to rise over there, but now it's rising over here. That's a change in the axis of the planet that makes this happen. They're saying the sky has changed. The sun doesn't rise where it used to. The sun rises higher than it used to. It warms up more quickly than it used to. The position of the moon and stars have all changed. They're saying they now have longer daylight to hunt in, that this change has created a situation where they can no longer judge what the weather is going to be because they were used to a set of things that just didn't change. And now all of a sudden we've had these changes. These changes happening quickly enough that they can be noticed by people in a single generation, not over centuries. As they put it, and this is their words, the earth has wobbled, the earth has wobbled, shifted or tilted to the north. This is all happening as the moon is blushing red today and the sun is hiding its face on successive days that Adonai has designated as being important days of his restoration plan. Which brings us back to the prophecy of Isaiah 24. 
Now, I'm going to add a little to this as I read this prophecy again. And I'm going to add in a reason why we should be looking at the prophetic warning that's being given here. It's given to us so that we can see something that is going to be happening as we see these things come into being. Again, Isaiah 24, starting in verse 18. For the windows above have been opened. The earth's foundations shake. The earth cracks, breaks open. Earth crumbles to pieces. The earth trembles and totters. The earth staggers to and fro like a drunk, sways back and forth like a watchman's shelter. Then we begin. Its transgression weighs heavy upon it. It will fall and not rise again. In other words, this is a time when God's had it with the transgressions of his creation. When that day comes, and follow this closely, when that day comes, Adonai will punish the armies of the high heaven on high and the kings, that is, the rulers of the earth here on earth. So if Isaiah's prophecy is correct, what we're seeing going on today, what's being reported to us by peoples who are closer to the top of the planet where the things are really happening in a way that you can tell that they're happening because, you know, up there, everything happens very quickly. Down here on the equator, we're kind of groaning along with it. When that day comes, Adonai will punish the armies of the high heaven on high and the kings on the earth here on earth. In so many words, there's a time of judgment coming for those involved in trying to turn Elohim's creation away from its creator both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. And we've been told through prophecies the signs to look for that will tell us that these times of judgment are arriving. Amos 3.7, I keep quoting this to you, Adonai God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. He has revealed this plan to his servants, the prophets. And here we are in a Shemitah year, approaching the day of Shemitah, when everything is supposed to go back to the way it was which may well lead us into next year being the year of Jubilee on God's calendar when everything really does go back to the way it was. And this day of approaching, this approaching day of Shemitah is in 11 weeks. We're witnessing the conditions prophesied by Isaiah that will lead to a time of judgment in heaven and on earth, judgment that will fall upon fallen angels and errant world rulers. And these conditions that we were witnessing that say it's time that these things would begin to happen, we're witnessing earthquakes on a massive scale, causing the planet to wobble and stagger like a drunk, happening as the moon is blushing and the sun is hiding its face. Adonai is again using earthquakes to accomplish what he wants. He is showing his people what he is about to do. Bring judgment on those in heaven and among the earth's leaders that are working to turn his creation over to his adversary. And if we're paying attention at all, we're seeing evidence of this going on right now, constantly, even within this past week. So what are we his people to do as this prophetic event moves towards its culmination? Pay attention. Pay attention and follow Adonai's Elohim's instructions as he leads us to where he would have us to be. We're not among those mentioned in this judgment, as judgment falling upon us. So let's pay attention. 
Let's see where He goes and where He leads us because He's going to take us to where He wants us to be. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio.